0: Jesus, you're truly a good father. Father, we thank you this morning for your amazing presence. Your word says where two or three are gathered in your name, you're in the midst. And there's more than that here today. And we know, Lord, that you're here. You're going to speak to hearts. You're going to encourage us. Lord, you're going to take us to another level of understanding and insight so we can be all that you've called us to be. So, Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being our Father, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is already in heaven. Father, we thank you for Real Life Church Maitland. We thank you for its destiny. We thank you, Lord, there's so much more that you want to bring to each of our lives. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, have your way in Jesus' name. We thank you. Amen. Amen. Great job, man. You've got a great voice. My goodness. I love acoustic, don't you? I've God's a God of variety, and um, I think it's great. And so you did a brilliant job. Brilliant, brilliant. Thanks for coming. You won't? Thank you. I want to tell you a funny story. I got here at 9.30. And I thought, oh, I'm a bit early. I'll go and get a coffee. So I went down to the espresso bar. Just in the, I finished up on a one-way street, and I somehow found a Westpac bank, got some cash out, and went, and got my coffee, and and I thought I got 10 minutes. This was fine. So I just reloaded my phone for Real Life Church, and it wouldn't load. It took me to a church in America. <laughs> so I went round and round the block. By about five past ten, I thought to myself, Lord, I'm kind of lost, and I can't believe I'm lost. I was here five minutes or 15 minutes ago. Now I can't find the church. This is absolutely true. And then I went into the most amazing public toilet in the whole world. I've never been in a public toilet like your Maitland toilet, that big canopy thing with beautiful brickwork and this. I thought, my goodness, this is like a hotel. Anyway, I stopped. And there were a lovely old couple. And I said, have you heard of real life church? Of course we have. It's down by the cinemas. So they gave me directions. So I got here, I think, about nine minutes past ten. So I don't know if the enemy didn't want me to be here and didn't want me to speak or something and wanted me to go to a church in America. I'm not sure, but I'm here. And so I apologize for being late. I don't like being late. My wife will tell you, I hate being late for anything. But I'm here. And, uh, and I'm glad you're here. And the presence of God is here. And I'm glad the children are with us. Uh, I was a kid once. I wasn't born with this color hair. Um, and I got, I, got, I got my life connected to Jesus when I was five years of age in a little church in New Zealand where my parents pioneered a church. I'm a Kiwi, in case you're trying to figure it out. And uh, an Australian by choice. So I'm from a third world country. But it's great to be in Australia. And... Uh, but I was a kid once, and I, I love children. I've got six grandchildren. I've got three in America, live in New York City, and three that live with us in the Blue Mountains. So I love, I love children. It's My oldest granddaughter is nearly 15, and so I've been around the block a few times. Like I said, I wasn't born with this color hair. It's 44 years of pastoring that will do that to you. Uh, but the Bible talks about gray hair is, uh, brings wisdom. So hopefully this morning as I share with you I'll encourage you and uh, speak into your life. And so I'm going to take you to the book of Luke, chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. It's the story of Zacchaeus. And I just want to speak to you about being honest, about honesty. There was a song that was written, honesty is such a lonely word. And I think the fact that we can be both honest, transparent, and real, your church is called real church, and what... The community of Maitland and beyond need to see are people who genuinely have a connection with Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus that has changed them from the inside out. I grew up in a church where we put more focus on whether you smoke, drunk, or swore versus we didn't care about the hypocrisy, the criticism, we didn't, com- we didn't seem to mind when people complained about the church and this wasn't right and the pastor wasn't right and this wasn't good. But we were really hard, on anyone who smoked, anyone who drank, anyone who swore, it seemed like the unpardonable sin. One of the reasons why I left the church, because I thought to myself, why is it that we are so caught up with cigarette smoking and swearing, and surely we should just realize that God changes people from the inside out. And we put so much emphasis on what we perceive, you know, telling a lie is sin, Committing adultery is not an unpardonable sin. Being divorced is not an unpardonable sin. And we get so caught up. And I love the fact that Jesus broke through all the religious and he, and he just cut through all the nonsense and just spoke to the heart. And this is what I love this story about Zacchaeus. So let me read to you from Luke chapter 19, 1 to 10, from the New Living Translation. I think it will come up on the screen. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he'd become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree beside the road. For Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up. At Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, Quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. And Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. Tat tut. They grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. It's, an, it's an, a remarkable story. And it gives us an incredible insight into how Jesus loves people. Tax collectors were not very popular in this day. Probably not very popular today. Who likes paying tax? None of us like paying tax, but it's part of life. Render to Caesar, what is Caesar's to God, what is God's. We know there's a, it, there's a cost to living. And that's how we know our country exists. That's how the government runs the country or tries to run the country. We won't get into politics today. I get a bit uh, hot under the collar on some things about politics. But one thing I do know is that Jesus is a lover of people. And it's interesting to me in this story that Zacchaeus sought to see Jesus. What was it in Zacchaeus's heart that he wanted to see Jesus? And It doesn't tell us in the story that someone was witnessing to him, telling him about Jesus. But I guess in the context of the story, Zacchaeus must have heard about Jesus. His reputation went before him. And there was something in Zacchaeus' heart that he wanted to see Jesus. He was short, so he climbs up a tree to see him. And the amazing thing is that as Jesus walks by, he looks up. And he connects with Zacchaeus, ignores the rest, and says, I've got to be in your house today. If you ever need confirmation that Jesus draws people, there it is right there. The Bible says you can't come to God unless the Holy Spirit draws you. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, getting in connection with Jesus is such an incredible thing. I thank God I'm a believer. I thank God I'm a born again Christian. I thank God that He loves me and I understand that. And I have all the Father's love. I am secure. I'm strong. I'm in love with Jesus because He loved me first. And we are blessed and privileged to know Him. And sometimes in our busyness of life, we can get so caught up in the mundane and we we just forget the fact that we are so blessed to love Jesus. We are so blessed to be loved by him. And Zacchaeus so wanted to see Jesus, he climbs a tree. Jesus takes, takes him to his house. You, I need to come to your house, Zacchaeus. Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus's house and all the crowd are displeased, the Bible says here. They're not happy because Zacchaeus was a tax collector, an unpopular person. But Jesus wants to be with him And he has this connection with him, and his life is changed forever. You know, Zacchaeus' name means pure. I don't know what your name means. It's interesting to study names. I think my name, Kevin, means heaven sent. But Zacchaeus' name was pure. And God knew that that there was a purpose on Zacchaeus' life. And his honesty... And his response to Jesus is, I'm going to give back. I'm going to take what I've taken, and I may have taken unfairly. I'm going to give back, in some cases, four times more. You see, that's a revelation. When someone has a revelation of Jesus, from the inside, their whole life changes. And something transpires on the inside. You know, I love the fact that, that Jesus touches our hearts. He doesn't look so much on the external. Man looks on the external, but God sees the heart. God sees your heart. God knows exactly how you feel, what you're going through, what challenges you face, and He is with you. Because the Bible says He'll never leave you nor forsake you. So aren't you glad this morning? You're very quiet, but I know you're listening. Aren't you glad this morning that the Holy Spirit is drawing you day by day. Every day he's drawing you to make him more like, he wants to make you more like him, to become more like Jesus from the inside out. So someone comes to Jesus like Zacchaeus and there's a transformation that takes place on the inside that brings honesty and frees him from from complications. I love the fact that we can live a life free of complexity, I just want to live a simple life. You know, the more stuff you accumulate in life, the more worry it brings. What does it matter if a man gains the whole world and loses his soul? You know, right now, Marilyn and I, we've been living in the Blue Mountains for 10 and a half years. We're just in the process of handing our church over to our assistant or our associate pastor, Ben Sattler, who I think has preached here. He preached, well, he's taken over from us. And at the end of June, the 24th of June will be our last Sunday as the senior pastors of Blue Mountain City Church. We're moving into Surrey Hills, and we're going to set up a consultancy to work with leaders, fathering, mentoring, and coaching. That's after 44 years of pastoring, I figure I've got at 67 years of age, I've got something to put back into the next generation, and I'm passionate about the next generation. So that's what we're doing, and and there's something about, and we're downsizing, so we're going to move from a five-bedroom, three-bedroom house to a tiny terrace in Surrey Hills but the only the only positive thing is it's right across from the SCG right across from Allianz stadium there's a golf course more park there's a driving range a tennis club and I'm in heaven and I've so but but what that means for us is we are we are simplifying our life we are getting rid of stuff and downsizing it's I don't know if anyone else is in that stage of life, but it's kind of exciting. It's kind of nice to say, I just want to live simple. I don't need all this stuff, you know. Sold one of our cars and because and, we've only got one place to park a car. But there's something about just getting your life simple and taking away all the complications. Now, I'm not suggesting we all get rid of our stuff, but I've got four TVs in my house. Why do I need four televisions? i got one in the kitchen. You know, it's crazy. It's going to be good just to have one television, not four and have one car and not two, and just, and just simplify our life. And just come back to the fact that it's just kind of a, an exciting... So we're in a very exciting season of our life, and uh, sorry to brag about that. But we just feel really excited and pumped about the next season in life. Life has a lot of different seasons. And it, it brings us through to various parts of our life where we just work through stuff. But, you know, when I was 15 years of age... Uh, I went to a meeting in Auckland where a guy, if you're my age, you'd remember this person. He was an Australian. His name was Clark Taylor. He, uh, he started, he pioneered Christian Outreach Centre churches in Australia. Well, he came, to, he came to New Zealand to preach. And I went to the meeting and I was a little bit sceptical. I, I think I was, yeah, well, I was 15 years of age and kind of that, that stage of life searching for reality and just wanting real, I just wanted authentic Christianity, So I went to this meeting and I was watching him. He was praying for people and they were falling down. And I thought, I'm not going to fall down if he prays for me. I just think that's just people acting and just pretending. So I went up at a certain point. He made an appeal for a certain category of people. And I thought, that's me. I need to go. I'm going to get prayed for. So I went up the front and I put one foot behind the other because there's no way in the world he's going to push me over. And so I braced myself. Well, the funny thing is, he never touched me. And I went crash on the floor. And I remember when I was laying on the floor, without him touching me, the Holy Spirit touched me, and I fell down. And uh, he, he, went down the, he went down the, I could hear him praying for different people. And he came back to me, and in his rough way, he kicked me on the bottom of my foot like that. He went boot on, the bat, on my shoe. And he said this to me. The devil doesn't have to condemn you, you condemn yourself. Well, he was absolutely spot on. I was lacking in confidence, I was incredibly insecure, and I was just self-condemning, full of self-condemnation. And it had a real effect on my life, and it began a journey. It began a journey for me spiritually, from moving out of self-condemnation into self-awareness, to realize that within myself, God had put something something of eternal value and he wanted to work in and through my life to bring about change. So over those years after that, God began to develop and strengthen and put real strength on the inside where I became aware of who I was. And then I moved from Bible school in New Zealand to America where I worked with drug addicts in New York City with a guy called David Wilkerson, Teen Challenge. And I went on this journey. And then I went to Scotland and that's where I met my wife. And I arrived in Scotland one day and on a Saturday morning and my cousin said to me, tonight you'll meet your wife. That's an absolutely true story. And I met Marilyn and six months later we got engaged and then a year later we got married and then we went to New Zealand and we went on this incredible journey. But God... God brought into that from that one prayer of Clark Taylor kicking me on the bottom of my shoe and saying, the devil doesn't have to condemn you, you condemn yourself. It took me on a journey of self-awareness to understand myself, to know myself, to come to a point where I accepted who I was. And I wasn't going to be anybody else. I was just going to be myself. Because you can only be you, you can't be anybody else. And it's true with Zacchaeus. In this story, he discovered who he was by encountering Jesus. His life was transformed from the inside out. He understood himself. He became aware of himself, of the need that he had and the things he needed to change in his life. And he made those decisions. Now, the Bible doesn't mention Zacchaeus anymore. But I can only imagine that his life went from strength to strength. And it's the same for all of us. When you encounter Jesus, like Zacchaeus encountered Jesus, we discover who we are and we begin a spiritual journey of awareness to bring us to a point where we can become complete in Him, lacking nothing. That we are, we are sufficient in the sense that God has given us all that we need. And we go on this incredible journey. know I don't know where you are today. I don't know where and what age group you're at and, and, and how you're thinking and how you look at God and how you perceive God. But I want to tell you, God is a loving God. God is a gracious God. He's a forgiving God. He's a caring God. And it doesn't matter what hardship you go through. It doesn't matter what catastrophes you face. God will always love you. He'll never stop loving you. He cares so much about you And he wants to work on your heart from the inside out. So I want to give you six things this morning that I think will really help you. The first one is freedom from legalism. Let me take you to a scripture. Because I want to share on a few thoughts on the power of a clear conscience. The power of a clear conscience. And for Zacchaeus, he discovered by encountering Jesus... That by putting things right, he could live an honest, upright life without complexity. He, by encountering Jesus, his conscience was made clear. And it's very powerful to live with a clear conscience. So let me give you the first one. Freedom from legalism. I'm going to give you six points and six scriptures. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 13. Let me read this to you. Hebrews nine thirteen. It says, Under the old system... The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Verse 14. But just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. So we can worship the living God. Living from the power of of a clear conscience. The blood of Jesus, we just shared communion this morning, you just led us in communion, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. There are so many people who live their lives with guilt. They live live full of guilt. They they, They live their lives full of regret, if only. You know, as a baby boomer, I can think back to the to the first house I bought, or actually built in New Zealand. I bought the block of land for $10,000 and I borrowed money from the Auckland Savings Bank, $15,000 and built a brand new home, $25,000. That's pretty good, you can't even buy a car, brand new car for 25,000. Now I can think back and think, imagine if I had kept that house. And then the second house and the third house, you, you, you can live with regret. I'm just taking that as a silly illustration, but, but it may be something in your life where you think, if only, if I hadn't have done that, or if I had have done this, or and then the, and, and your life's full of regret, and you, and you live out of regret, and you probably live from a sense of guilt. I should have done this, or why did I have that relationship, and why did I fall in love with that person, and why did I marry that person, and And, you know, in ministry, you meet all sorts of people from all walks of life with all sorts of backgrounds and all sorts of baggage. But the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus comes, and he sets us free. Zacchaeus, at that moment, from all the things that he does, Jesus set Zacchaeus free. He had a clear conscience. He was set free. He could live his life without complication. He could live his life in freedom. Freedom from legalism. I grew up in a really legalistic church. Couldn't go to the shops on Sunday. I wasn't allowed to play sport. We would never buy a newspaper on Sunday. It was the wrong thing to do. You know, it it was just a bunch of legalism. Thank God that we we got a revelation of Jesus. Us baby boomers changed the way church was run. You know, my pastor used to preach for an hour. Now, he probably liked it, but we sure didn't. You can't sit for one hour while he preaches. You know, it, you know church was so long. We'd sing, we're going to sing this song one more time. You, if you're in my age group and you've been around church a while, you'll, know, you'll relate to this. We're going to sing this song one more time. Just one more song. Shut up. Let's just get on with it. We ain't got that much time to sit here. i got things to do. i got places to go. You think I'm being a religious, don't you? You think I'm, you're a naughty person. No, I think we've got to be relatable. You know, we've got to get free in our spirit. And, and, and God doesn't care whether you wear a suit. I worked in a church in Scotland for a while, and I had to wear a three-piece suit every Sunday. And I had to have the bottom button of my waistcoat undone. For goodness sake, I don't know why, but that's what the pastor demanded. He demanded that. And I had to wear a suit. Well, thank God that God doesn't care what you wear. I thought I'd be okay to wear Aaron Williams to Maitland and... I had a pair of jeans, I thought I'd be at home here, trying to relate to you. <laughs> but it's not about the outward. It's about freedom on the inside. And there's something about being free on the inside where you can be completely secure. You don't care what people think. You don't care what people think of you. You just know who you are in Christ, and you can just be free. And you can live your life in a way free of legalism because whom the Son of God sets free is free indeed. Jesus came to set you free. God's not impressed by what we say. He's, he, he sees the heart, the way we live our lives, the way we live it out every day. So God has set us free. Thank God that God has set us free. So number one, freedom from legalism. Number two, the power of a clear conscience gives us True access to God. Let me read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 21 and 22. You with me? Good. It says in verse 21 of Hebrews chapter 10, it says, And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences had been sprinkled. With Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Listen, this morning we have access into God's presence. Don't let the enemy rob you. You might have had a bad experience coming to church this morning. The kids may not have been ready in time and you know your wife was holding you up and things weren't working out and you were getting irritated and and we and when we walk into church it's like, ah, we're good. We're all good. We're all all righteous. We're all holy. No, maybe all hell is broken loose. The fact is that we can walk into God's presence and we can worship him from a pure heart and we're not going to allow what mistakes we've made, what failures we've had. We're all sinners saved by grace. We're all free in Jesus because it's not based, our salvation is not based upon our performance. Our salvation is based upon the fact that Jesus loves us, that we are full of His grace, His favours on our life. And it's not about performance, about having a pure heart, having our conscience cleared, understanding that God has set us free. We have access into God's presence. And we can worship Him at any moment. You can be driving your car. You can be at any stage in your life just reaching out to God. Whatever you're going through, He's always there. The Bible says He'll never leave you or forsake you. We're free in Him to live our lives in the power of us. We have access into God's presence. How amazing is that? So we're free from legalism. It's not about performance. And it's about having access into the presence of God. We can ask God. The Bible says we have not because we ask not. We've got to learn to press into God and take a hold of God and give us wisdom. You know, when my daughter Laura was born, she'll be 40 this year. But when my daughter was born in 1978 in a hospital in Auckland, New Zealand, I got a card from a really good friend. Congratulations on the birth of Laura. And may God give you wisdom when she turns 13. (laughs) I can't tell you how significant that was. Because when she turned 13, she turned into a monster. And I thought, my goodness, what's happened to this girl? Something has transpired. I've done something wrong. I haven't been living a right life. There must be sin in my life. All this stuff because my daughter's gone off the rails. People think like that, don't they? Have you heard people say, well, you're not getting healed because there's sin in your life. Who preaches that junk? It's absolute rubbish. You said that. I just quoted you. Rubbish. It's rubbish. It's not about that at all. So when I went through this journey with Laura from the ages of 13 to about 15 and a half, and I just loved her. I loved her. She was smoking cigarettes. She was rebellious at school. All kinds of things. Getting tattoos, getting her tongue pierced. All this stuff went on. It was like a, kind of a, like a, I don't know what it was, reaction to something. But I just loved her. I just kept on loving her. And Ma and I, I call Marilyn Ma, Ma and I just loved her. We just loved her through it. And you know, the fact is that she came through that experience and she came out the other side a better person. And now she passes with her husband, Hillsong, New York, in New York City with Carl and Laura pastor of that great church in New York. And I look at her and I think, man, thank God. You got through that period. You got through that season. You came out the other side. And uh, we learn a lot. I learn a lot. Learn a lot about God's grace. Learn a lot about God's forgiveness. You know, you might have kids. I'm not sure what ages your children are, but... And I want to tell you, you know, if, like I did, from the ages of 15 to 18, I tried to run from the call of God. How old are you? How old are you? 13. Fantastic. I just saw everyone poking you and pointing at you and just ignore them. You just listen to me, okay? 13 is a challenging age. 15 for me was a challenging age. And from the ages of 15 to 18, I just kind of I ran from God because the call of God freaked me out. I didn't want to be a pastor because I didn't want to be poor and I didn't want to be criticized. So the ministry wasn't for me. So I did a runner. As a result, all sorts of things happened in my life and as an 18-year-old I came back to God after getting both my feet crushed under a crane and God got my attention and brought me back and God turned my life all around. It's amazing how on our journey we we go through various things but you know, God works in our lives. and God brings us through. So, you know, we've, you said it this morning, Joshua, trust in the Lord. My favorite scripture, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. and all your ways, acknowledge him. He will always direct your path. So freedom from legalism, access to God. And the third one is freedom in witnessing. I love the fact I'm an evangelist at heart. And I, I love people. I'm a lover of people. I love... Getting alongside people and uh, and just just getting, a, I love going to the cafes and, and just meeting people and just talking to people about life and you build relationship with them and, and you can be start to really share your faith with them. But there's a scripture in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15 and 16 and it says this, instead you must worship Christ as Lord of your life and if someone asks about your Christian hope always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. There it is again. Every scripture I've read so far talks about conscience, apart from the one in, chapter, in, in Luke 19. Keep your conscience clear that if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what good you, life you live because you belong to Christ. See, the power of a clear conscience enables you to be a witness for him to live your life, not from condemnation like I was as a 15-year-old, full of self-condemnation, full of self-doubt, but realizing that we're secure, we're confident, we have God's grace on our life, and we are free to live our life. We don't have to preach at people. We don't have to go onto street corners and preach at people. we just got to live it out. you just got to live your life. And as you live your Christian life, people will say there's something different about you. There's something different about your life. What is it that makes you different? I've watched you under pressure. I've watched you in the work situation. And you just seem to respond differently. What is it? It's the Jesus in me. He gives me a hope. I go through a tough time. I have sickness in my life. I have challenge. Loved ones don't get healed. This happens, that happens, something else happens. But I still keep my trust in Him. I keep my eyes on Jesus. I still have my faith in Him. Nothing can shape me. Because I know that he's real. I know that not everyone I pray for gets healed. I've prayed for a lot of people. I'm sure you have too. i pray prayed for a lot of people. Not everyone gets healed that I've prayed for. Some have. I've seen people get out of wheelchairs and walk when they've been in a wheelchair for 28 years. And they walk. And then I prayed for a friend recently and she died of cancer. She didn't get healed. And it was a tragic loss. And you, but you come to terms with that because you know God knows what he's doing. God knows He's in charge. He's large He's in charge. So we have freedom to witness. Number four, we, we love. We have this love, a, 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 a love that is so real. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 5, let me read it to you. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5 says this, The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from, one, a pure heart, A clear conscience and a genuine faith. See, there's that word again, clear conscience. Living a life with a clear conscience. You know, in pastoring over 44 years, I've had some interesting encounters. I've had people say all kinds of things against me. I've had all sorts of stuff happen. And, and, you know, you just know before God, you just walk with a pure heart. You keep your conscience clear. And, and you ask people, you go to them and you ask their forgiveness and whether they forgive you or not makes no difference. There's, there's something powerful about forgiveness. And when you can forgive someone, whether they forgive you or not is not your problem. You just want to live your life with purity, pay your bills on time, make sure that you don't owe money where you shouldn't owe money, that you don't overcommit yourself financially that you make wise decisions so that you can live your life because that is very important. And it says here in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 5, it says, living your life with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. And that's what the world needs to see. They need to see people that are living their lives who truly love God, who love their lives. They, they understand what God has given them. So they love their life. They love what God's given. Are you grateful this morning for what God's given you? I am so, I am so. I was driving up the car this morning. I left home at 6.30, got my coffee and, and, and just came cruising up the M1 and I thought, man, I'm blessed. I'm a blessed man. I've got a wonderful wife who loves me. I've got two beautiful girls who love me. I've got six grandkids that I just think the world of them. And I just think, my life is blessed. Has it been without challenges? No. There's been lots of challenges. There's been lots of things that have come up against us. But God has always been faithful. And you know, when you love God with all your heart, and you keep short accounts with God, and you take stuff to God, and you say, Lord, that's not gonna, I'm not, that thing is not going to cling to me. When someone says something about that, and I know it's not true, it ain't going to cling to me. It's not going to cause me to lose my faith. You know, when a pastor, I, the church I now pastor was pastored by a guy who was there for 25 years. Stuff happened, he lost his way, and uh, a lot of people left our church. I went to a church that was devastated. The church was really devastated. And all sorts of stuff had taken place. And the problem is that many times people put pastors on pedestals. The problem is that pastors just fall off. Because I'm a sheep that became a shepherd, but primarily I'm still a sheep. And we just got to understand that we're, we don't ever, you know, thank God for pastors and leaders, and we appreciate the fact that they've been put, pastors have been put, like a pastor Michael's been put over you guys, to be your covering, to be your leader, but Michael's not directing you to look at him, Michael's directing you to look at him, Jesus, he's the builder of the church. And the church that I took on, the tragedy was that people looked too much to the leader because he was a strong leader, he was a dictatorial leader. And the day it was announced that he had fallen morally, sexually, 165 young dogs walked out of our church. And to this day, they go nowhere. They got devastated by the fact that the guy who taught what he taught couldn't keep his own rules. And the tragedy is that You know, we can build stuff around us, but we always want to point people to Jesus. We always point people to Jesus. I burned out in 97. I took three months off. I sat in my own church staring at a wall. I was pastoring a church on the Central Coast, been there for 18 years. And I sat in the back of our church and I stared at a wall because I was completely fried and burnt out. And I tell you, it's real. People say, oh, you Christians don't burn out. They do. Stuff happens. Stuff happens. But through it all, I grew and I developed, and a guy called Ray Andrews was my counselor and helped me and brought me through it, and and I came out the other side understanding myself better. You know, it's the, the tough times make you strong. The tough times do make you strong. And so thank God for tough times, and we don't like it, we don't enjoy it, but we're just keeping our eyes on Jesus. Love that comes from what? A pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. And your genuine faith, the understanding of him, comes from all the stuff that happens to you, but within you gets a greater strength, a greater understanding of all that God has given to us. So freedom from legalism, access to God, freedom of witnessing, a love that we love each other, we love God with all our heart, you know? I'm a second-generation pastor. My father was a my dad pastored churches, pioneered churches, but unfortunately, he fell morally, had multiple affairs, divorced my mother, and he was so hard on me as a teenager that I grew to hate him. And uh, one day, when I was driving in my car in New Zealand, I was living in Australia, but I took my family to New Zealand, and my and the Holy Spirit as I was driving my car one day said to me you need to go to your father and get forgiveness. I didn't want to do that. Wasn't, I just didn't want to do it. I had too much hatred on my heart towards him because he was so hard on me and uh, accusing me of things that I wasn't doing, but he was doing them himself. And it, it kind of really played with my head anyway, long story short. I went to his house. I knocked on his door. By the stage, he's living with another woman. He opens the door. And I just fell into his arms and bawled my eyes out, and got and got got set free. That that day was very important to me, and I was able to get forgiveness and get things sorted with my dad. And then, just not long after that, he passed away, and I got to speak at his funeral. And uh, it was it, I could I could speak with it from a clear conscience, and I said, "Excuse this." I, I kind of called him a grumpy. Use a swear word, grumpy. But I was kind of explaining him. But it wasn't coming from any animosity or any anger because my heart was pure. My heart was clear. I'd, I'd put it right. But standing next to me was my younger brother who had not put it right with my dad. And to this day, this is like years ago, but to this day, my younger brother is still angry towards my father and won't go to church. And when his daughter got into trouble... He, my younger brother, blamed God for it. It's because, because he never dealt with the, own, the issues in his own heart. You've got to guard your heart, the Bible says, for out of it are the issues of life. And we've got to guard our hearts. And so we've got to protect and make sure that we're taking care of ourselves and looking after ourselves. So, so important. Number five, I'm nearly done. You still with me? I don't know how long I, I don't know when I started. Number five, confidence in prayer. do do you understand how powerful prayer is? Like, it's something that's so simple, and yet it's so powerful. Let me read a scripture to you. In 1 John chapter 3, and verses 21 and 22. I'm chucking a lot of stuff out to you, aren't I? 1 John chapter 3, 21 and 22. It says this. Dear friends, if you don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. And verse 22 says, And we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him, and we do the things that please him. We don't feel guilty. We can come to God with bold confidence. See, that's the power of a clear conscience. When you live your life right, as I said before, you're paying your bills. You're taking care of business. You're making sure that you're living your life to the best of your ability and you're clear. You love and you genuinely love and there's no animosity. There's no unforgiveness in your heart. You've dealt with stuff. You've dealt with your own shortcoming. You understand the grace of God. You have a revelation of grace. You can come into God's presence with confidence because You have that clear conscience, and you can come and you can come boldly into the presence of God. When my grandkids come to my house, they never say hello. They go straight to the pantry or to the refrigerator. What's to eat? You can all relate to that because that's just common. That's what all grandkids do. They just go straight to it. They don't say, hey, pa, ma. Ma. Have we got permission to come to your pantry? Have we got permission to go to your refrigerator? They just walk in. They don't say hello. They just go, what's to eat? And I look at that and I think, that's how we should be spiritually. We should go into God's presence and say, God, I love you. You're amazing. I need a miracle. Would you touch my kids? Would you work in this situation? Would you save my neighbor? We go with confidence because the Bible says, we have not because we ask not. Let's never be afraid to God. God loves it when we come into his presence. And we ask boldly with confidence because he wants to answer our prayers. He wants to do supernatural things. Do you know, when Laura was um, 13 years of age, she had a plant wart on the bottom of her foot. And every night I'd always go into my girls and I'd kiss them goodnight and tell them a story and fool around with them. And, and uh, anyway, she said, Dad, I've got this thing on my bottom of my foot. I said, yeah, that's a plant wart. We could take you to the doctor tomorrow, and he'll cut it out. Or we could pray right now, and God could heal it. She said, I'll take the prayer. <laughs> so we just simply pray, Jesus, heal her. Next morning, gone, completely gone. I was encouraged by that. i tell you why. Because it showed Laura, as a 13-year-old, that God does answer prayer. And so I was encouraged that God heard our prayer. We prayed together. And God healed her. And I was so chuffed that God encouraged her by healing her of that plan award. And it brought a lot of encouragement to her when she was, like I said before, at 13, she was going through a difficult time. But even in her difficult time, God still healed her. And sometimes we think, well, God's angry at me. He's never angry at you. You know, this is happening in my life. And how could God hear me? And why would God even bother Because God loves you. He'll never stop loving you. He's a gracious God. He's a kind God. He's an incredible God. And my final one is in the area of relationships. Integrity in relationships. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 12. This is all related to the power of a clear conscience. The power of a clear conscience. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 12. It says this. We can say with confidence and a clear conscience that we have lived with a with we have lived with a god-given holiness and sincerity in all of our dealings we have depended on god's grace not on our own human wisdom and relationships when it comes to relationships i think relationships are probably the greatest challenge in life people fall in love and they fall out of love and you know, neighbors have fights over all kinds of interesting things. Relationships are a challenging thing. But as believers, as Christians with clear conscience, we can have integrity in our relationships. We can build the most amazing marriages. We can build the most amazing families. The greatest church I'll ever pastor is my own family. So what if I build a big church? So what if I can be a great preacher and preach around the world? Big deal. The greatest challenge is that I can live in, in my own home. To love my wife as Christ loved the church. That's the challenge for every man. And wives, you need to pray for your husbands because the Bible says to love your wife as Christ loved the church. That is huge. We know how much Christ loved the church, and that's how we are to love our wives. You know, if we love our wives as Christ loved the church, you'll never have an issue with submission. You know, people want to debate, well, what do you believe about submission? Should my wife submit to me? Well, Are you loving her as Christ loved the church? Because if you love your wife as Christ loved the church, you'll never have an issue with her submitting to you. She'll gladly submit to you as long as you're loving her as Christ loved the church. That's a challenge. And to love our kids and to work through our kids and to to understand them and to be patient and to work through all their challenges as they grow up. Remember how you were as a teenager. Remember the grief that you caused your parents. And when you become a father, you become a mother. It's a challenge. Raising kids is a challenge. Building families is a challenge. But with a clear conscience and a pure heart and a genuine faith, we can live overcoming powerful lives in Jesus' name. Thank God for his grace. I'm done. Thank God for his kindness. Thank God for his heart. Appreciate your listening this morning. And can I just pray for you? And uh, ask God's blessing on you. Father, we thank you this morning just for your incredible grace. Lord, we've shared a lot of stuff this morning. And, but at the end of the day, it's your word. No quickened word shall return unto you void. And I believe, Lord, that you have spoken individually to hearts this morning. You've challenged people in their own journey with you. And I pray this morning that, Lord, as we walk it out, as we walk out our own salvation, work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, as we journey through life, Lord, as we walk through the journeys of life, the challenges of life, the thing that life throws up to us, the things that come our way, remind us of your grace, of your kindness. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance always. It's not legalism. It's your kindness. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance. So I thank you for real life church. I thank you, Lord, for its pastors and leaders. And I thank you for its future. And I thank you, it's secure, Lord. We thank you for all that you're going to do. We thank you for everything you've done for us as we look back. And as we look forward into the future, we thank you, Lord, for all that you're going to do. We, we just love you so much. And we appreciate you. Confirm your word in our hearts as we live it out day by day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Josh. Thank you. Awesome. So just